Well, good morning, and thank you again for joining us. I want to encourage you, uh, if you've got your Bibles, open them or turn them on to Exodus chapter 20. And once you find Exodus 20, you probably also want to go ahead and find Psalms 37, as we're going to look at both texts this morning as we wrap up our uh, stewardship series here in, in Christmas in July. Uh, the series, Blessed to Be a Blessing to Others. And I hope that this has been a series that has meant uh, a lot to you and has practically helped you. Uh, certainly so grateful for how you as a church family have given uh, there uh, of our Christmas tree. And so the past three weeks, we have talked about that God has ordered how we ought to conduct our finances and manage our time. That it begins with the understanding that we're, we're to give generously. And the way that we give generously is we save wisely and we live appropriately or live within our means. So this week we want to wrap this series up by asking a question, what are some things that keep us from being able to do the three things that we talked about over the last three weeks. And so we've entitled this message, Barriers to Generosity. And in researching and preparing for this, found something fascinating. And it's this, that London boasts the world's tallest and longest slide. The slide is 584 feet long, Riders are going to drop a distance of about 243 feet from beginning to end. They will reach speeds up to 15 miles per hour. So the entire ride is going to take about 40 seconds. Now I want you to imagine, if you can, what it would be like to be going down this long slide and all of a sudden, about halfway through, you get stuck. All right, that'd be bad, right? Like really, really bad, especially uh, if you don't like being confined in tight spaces. Well, that's because a slide is what we would call a conduit. That is, that it's to take a person from one end to another. And this is how God has created and designed for you and I as Christians to live so that our generosity can flow uh, in a way that glorifies God takes the gospel further, all right? And so what happens when we as a grace and generosity conduit get clogged, all right? Well, obviously God is not glorified and the gospel doesn't go as far and we're not able to help as many people. And so we don't want to fall into the trap. We want to know that we are living in such a way that glorifies God above all else. All right, the chief end of man, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God. And the way that we do that is by being these gospel ambassadors with everything we have and living in such a way as though we can share what God has blessed us with so as we begin to walk through this this morning, I, I want to give you the one big thing here. 
right, it says, to be a conduit of God's blessings, we must see everything we have as a gift from God that is meant to be used for His glory and for the good of others. Now, how can we keep this happening? Or how can we begin for this to happen? Well, let's look at two specific verses in uh, our study this morning, and we'll unpack them. Exodus chapter 20 is where I'm going to start. And so if you're able, would you stand to honor the reading of God's word? Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17 says this, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And now we're going to flip over to Psalm 37 and verse 21, which says this, The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your grace. We thank you for the privilege that it is to come into your house, to lift our hands, our hearts, and our voices to praise you, for you and you alone are worthy to be praised, Father. And God, as we uh, turn our hearts and our attention to your word, Lord, I pray that it would be the Holy Spirit that got us into the truth today, and that everyone here may have ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Again, the one big thing here is to be a conduit of God's blessings. We must see everything we have as a gift from him that is meant to be used for his glory and the good of others. And so this morning we want to ask this question. What are the most common barriers that keep us from fulfilling this? Well, the first one, as we saw in Exodus chapter 20, would be this, appearances. The Tenth Commandment says, thou shalt not covet. And it goes on to name uh, some specific things there. Uh, Now, the way you and I would probably put it here in 2018 would be this. Stop trying to keep up with everybody else. All right? Stop trying to create this image of a person that you're not really. All right, stop trying to keep up and have the latest and the greatest with everybody else. The word covet, as we saw a couple weeks ago, is a strong desire to have something that God hasn't given us, but we want it because somebody else has it. This is what it means to, to covet here. The sin of coveting is literally the breeding ground for many other sins, including bitterness, jealousy, murder, taking advantage of others, and many, many more. The sin of coveting, it's it's rooted in our pride. See, pride thinks highly of ourselves. Our pride says that we deserve whatever everybody else has. That's a minimum. At a minimum, I deserve what everybody else has, and all Sometimes my pride leads me to believe that I deserve more than what everybody else has because, well, I'm me, and it's just awesome to be me, so I deserve all of this stuff. 
You know, I, I work hard, I do this, I do that, so I'm more deserving than you are. And, and this is what our pride constantly is stoking inside of us. Now, the opposite of coveting, however, and we saw this last week in 1 Timothy 6, is the word contentment. And contentment is a state of mind in which I am satisfied with what God has given me. As the, the old hymn that we love to sing around here, uh, It Is Well, says... Um, they are, and I would encourage you sometimes just to, to look up the history uh, of that hymn. But specifically, we see uh, Horatio Spafford write, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. This is a picture of biblical contentment. Contentment is the attitude of faith and trust in the sovereignty of God. Because contentment says, because God is God, because he knows what I need better than I know what I need, then I'm going to trust what he has given me. And if he has given me, then God has determined I need it. But if God has withheld it from me, then in his sovereignty, he has said, I do not need this. And so contentment says, I'm going to be okay with that because God knows what he is doing and he knows better than I do. So I'm just going to trust him and place my faith in him to supply to me what it is I need. Now, when I pursue God, first, again, go back to the theme verse of this entire series, Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When I seek God first, when my heartbeat and my mind is focused on King Jesus and living for him and pleasing him, then I will learn to be content with whatever I have in life because it's not about what I've got, it's about what I do with what God has given me. And so I'm going to be content, and that is the great gain the Apostle Paul talked about in 1 Timothy. But I want us to remember here, covenant isn't just about money, it's not just about possessions. You see, covenant can also be people. We covet people when we view them as a means to the ends of making me happy, not that my life is to be poured out in service to God and for the betterment of others. And we see this idea of coveting people and using them for the ungodly reason in the Old Testament with the man who wrote the majority of the book of Psalms Uh, Certainly one of Israel's greatest kings. A man who in the book of Acts is said to be a man after God's own heart. Of course, it's King David. And see, what happened is King David already, he's already married. He already had a lot of things. But one day, he's out walking on his palace, rooftop. 
he shouldn't have been there, but we, that'll be another sermon another time. But while he's walking around, he sees this pretty girl. And he said, I want that girl. I want her to be my wife. Now, the issue is this woman is already married. But again, because of David's pride, because of his coveting heart, he didn't care. He arranges for Bathsheba's husband to be murdered, oh yeah, while fighting for David and the nation of Israel. So Uriah was actually serving David, but because of David's coveting heart, David arranges for him to be Killed so he can have Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Now, David may have thought he'd gotten away with it for a while. However, God loves his children too much and cannot tolerate sin in our life. And so you may think that you're getting away with it, but I assure you, you are not. And King David was about to find out that lesson when God sent a prophet by the name of Nathan. And you could read this in 2 Samuel chapter 12, but Nathan comes to the king and he begins to tell him this story uh, about this rich farmer uh, who had a lot of things, who had everything basically. And a traveler was coming through and so this uh, rich farmer, he wanted to be hospitable and, and provide this stranger with a meal. However, he didn't want to give up one of his sheep for the meal so he goes and he steals from this poor farmer and so David is listening to this story and he is becoming incensed to the point he goes this man should die like he's going to pay fourfold what he took from this guy because he didn't show any grace and he didn't take any pity on this guy and so David man he feels righteously indignant because of this great injustice and then Nathan drops a bomb on him and he just looks at him and goes David you are the man. Oh. Do you ever get upset about something? Somebody's telling you and then all of a sudden find out you were the one who did it. Changes the whole perspective of it, doesn't it? But listen to what God continues to say through the prophet of Nathan to David here. God says, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do evil in his sight? God was going, didn't I give you enough, David? I mean, look at everything I have done for you. I gave it all to you. Isn't that enough? David, isn't what I, your Lord, your God, isn't what I gave you enough? What about you and I? I mean, look at everything God has given us. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, we're often like David in the fact that we want more. Or we want something that we don't have. My guess is none of us in here feel like we're rich. 
All right, nobody in the 8.30 service did, and I doubt anybody in this 11 o'clock service is going to feel like they're rich. But I think the reason we don't feel that way is we've got these colored glasses on. And let me try to explain this a little bit, okay? $25,000. Doesn't sound like a lot of money, does it? Not really, not, not in today's economy. However... If you make $25,000 a year, you are in the top 2% of earners in the world. If you make just $25,000 a year, you make more money than 98% of the people in the world. Do you have a car? Now, it may, sh- it may not be new. It may not be stylish. It may do more shaking and rattling while it's rolling. But it gets you point A to point B, and it gets you back, at least most of the time. What about last night? Did you sleep in a house that, that had heat if you needed it? Or air conditioning if you needed it? You know, while it was raining, was your head protected? What about shoes? Now, again, I'm not asking, do you have the latest and greatest kicks? I'm not asking, you know, you're reading GQ each month and getting all your fashion chip uh, tips and, and dressing like that. But did you walk barefooted through filth, hot pavement, broken glass? You see, we have a sin nature inside of us that has programmed us to believe that we're not more blessed, we're not as blessed as we really are. And the reason that we do that is this. We focus on those who have more than we do. And this is the sinful nature of our pride. That God would call us not to look at the things that we don't have, but rather God calls us to look at all that he has given us. My guess is you get on a plane and you go to almost any other country in the world and you have a list of your assets and all of these things and ask anybody, hey, would you like to trade places with me for a week? They're probably on the plane before you realize what happened. But there's an even greater application that we don't want to miss here. Okay, and it it really comes out of one of my favorite passages in Ephesians 2. Because it, it reminds us of who we are. Who God is, what we deserve, yet what God has given us. Listen to what it says. And you were dead in trespasses... In sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, church, we can't judge others because they sin differently than we do, because had it not been for what we're about to read, we'd be just like them. See, we were dead, we were lost, we were Hopeless, And then all of a sudden, in verse 4, the whole script flips. 
because it gives us the two most powerful words in the New Testament. And it is this, but God. I was lost, but God. I was dead, but God. I had no hope, but God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Church, that ought to get a lot of us excited. If you've been saved, it really ought to get you excited because we were dead. We were lost. We had no hope. But God, because of his love, showed us mercy, showered us with grace, and by grace we've been saved. God didn't wait for us to get our life together. God didn't wait for us to become a quote-unquote good person. God didn't wait on us to come to church before he loved us. No, it says in Romans 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why is it that I should give generously? Because God has given us everything. Church, i got to move on from this point, but you need to hear this. Too many Christians are walking around like a spiritual Eeyore. Like they don't have a smile on their face. They complain about everything. It's just, I mean, they are a downer to be around. I hate to say it, but I don't know any other way to say it. Why? It's because... They haven't realized the joy that Jesus gives. If you want to be joyful in the good times and in the bad, if you want to be joyful in times of abundance and times of very little, then your joy must be found in Jesus because only he can satisfy your soul. That's why so many people are walking around this planet so miserable. They have all the things this world says they need, yet they don't have the one thing they were created for, and that is a relationship with God. You've got to find your joy in Jesus so that you don't get clogged up by appearances. But then there's another barrier to generosity that we want to hit here. And it's Psalm 37 and verse 21. And it says, The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. That second barrier to generosity is debt. David here isn't saying that debt inherently is sinful. Nor is the person who borrows necessarily sinful. But he is saying that those who borrow and do not pay, they are wicked. They are living like they are lost. All right, and for a Christian to do this doesn't glorify God, and it defames the gospel. All right, it, it, we have to understand the seriousness of debt, not just as families, but as a church, and certainly as a nation. We've got to understand this. 
But let's be up front here. Because you might follow scriptural commands. You might be giving generously. You may be saving wisely. You may be living within your means. But sometimes there comes a time in which you have to borrow. All right, you need to ask for help. Do yourself a favor, swallow your pride, and ask for help. See, when we allow our pride to get in our way, we rob God of glory. We rob others of the blessing of being used by God to meet needs of others. And you rob yourself of a blessing of seeing just how God takes care of his children. And so if you find yourself in this place where you are just struggling and you need help, then you must ask. Sometimes going in debt is going to be the way that it is. I don't know anybody that just has $150,000 laying around where they can go and just lay down that cash at the realtor and take keys of the house and go. Sometimes you are going to go into debt. And that's not the issue that this verse is pointing out. The problem, according to this verse, is when we have been blessed, all right, by being able to borrow, but then we do not repay on that. This is what we have to do. And one of the best ways to avoid it because most of what keeps us up and stressed out and strung out in debt is not the mortgage. It's paying for all those cars. And then, you know, we got the latest and greatest TVs and phones and all of this stuff. And so we've overextended ourselves because in our pride we said, I, I need it, I deserve it. So one of the best ways that we can avoid getting clogged by debt is to manage God's blessings God's way. Which means prayerfully setting up a budget and then living by it. Which leads to an important question. How can I practically apply this? How can I avoid becoming a clogged generosity conduit? Well, I'll give you a couple things very quickly. First, it's going to be this. Be careful going into debt. Uh, again, sometimes it's going to happen. I got it. But I believe the Bible would encourage us as individuals, as families, and even as churches to avoid debt. You know, one of the greatest reasons that churches can't be more generous to people in their community is they're too busy paying off these large, extravagant buildings that they frankly don't need. We're, we're trying to keep up with the appearances of all the other churches around us. And so we go, well, wait a minute, that church down the road, you know, they built this family life center or, or whatever they, they built it. So now I've got to build it. Stop. Do you understand that for every dollar that is going out, there has to be a dollar coming in? That, that the idea of financial stewardship begins at the home, but it also must carry into God's house. 
Because churches who go into debt and are unable to pay it back defame the gospel because they didn't live within their God-ordained means. If God is calling a church to something, He will not only give the vision, but He will also supply the provisions for it. But what if you're in debt right now? Okay, I, I don't want you to walk out with this heavy burden going, wow, not only did I already know I wasn't supposed to be in debt, but now the preacher, man, he's hammered it for 20 minutes. What do I do? Well, let's listen to the advice of David's son, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, in, in talking to his son in Proverbs chapter 6. Solomon writes this, my son, if you put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are ensnared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a, a roe, that is a deer. Save yourself like a deer from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. <clears throat> in other words, work your backside off to get out of debt. If, if you're here this morning, and I, I praise God that the church leadership has been very, very wise, even long before I got here, and that whatever debt the church had, it's gone. That, that, that's a, such a tremendous blessing from God, and, and we need to just thank Him for that. Because it frees us up to be more generous. But if you find yourself in a position where you are in debt right now, then you need to sit down and you need to prayerfully come up with a plan of how to get out of debt. That's going to mean cut your living expenses back as far as you possibly can. It, it could mean that you're going to cut the cable. It could mean you're going to have to stop eating out. It could mean that you're going to have to stop going out for entertainment. You may have to really radically alter your lifestyle for, for a time. You may have to do a, a yard sale. Or you know what? You, if you're on social media, you can go on Facebook. You can even be a part of the marketplace there. You could do it right there from the comfort of your own home. How about that? But whatever it takes... You need to start working towards getting out of debt. You cut everything except one thing, and that is your giving to God. For this reason, our giving to God is showing that our heart is aligned with God's heart and His purpose is our purpose. That the gospel is more important than my happiness. But by giving to God, we're also demonstrating faith and trust in him to supply whatever it is that we need so be careful going into debt and if you're there work your way out the second application for this would be very simply be generous to others because God has been generous to you 
If you look at the second half of Psalm 37, verse 21, it says, But the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. Has God blessed you? Understand that God has blessed you so that you would give glory to God and so that you would bless other people. We have spent a month now talking about, Lord, help us to live with open hands and our palms facing up to remind us that everything we have, we receive from you. But God, we're going to keep our hands open because it's going to pass right through. Because the Lord gives and the Lord can take away. But we're going to bless the name of the Lord. If you have something that somebody needs or, or there's a way that you can be a blessing, that, then the love of God compels you to share that. Remember, you and I, we are to be conduits of God's blessings, not clogged. Psalm 112 and verse 5 says, It is well with a man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. The, the psalmist is saying, allow God to use you to bless others because it's the right thing to do. Allow God to use you to be a blessing because it's the right thing to do. And don't expect a thank you. Don't expect a pat on the back. Don't expect a shout out on social media. Do it because it's the right thing to do. And God will bless that. Are you living in such a way that God's blessings can easily flow from you to others? Are you looking for ways in your time and your budget where you could make changes to, to be more generous? Well, let me ask you this way. What if God was as generous to you as you are to others? How generous would God be? This series has been about money and it's been about time. But it's also about a lot more. Does God look at our actions? Yes. But God also sees the heart and the motivation behind our actions. See, stewardship is about lordship. Who is the Lord of my life? Who is in control of my life? The best way to answer that is to look at how you spend your time and where your treasures go. That will give a tremendous indication of who is the God of your life. You know, one of the biggest things people say, well, I, I want to be generous, but I, I, I just don't want to give, I, I can't give to them. I mean, look at this. I mean, they're in the situation they're in because of the choices that they made. You know, they, they didn't do this, so, so they deserve what they get. Can I tell you something? Stop it. That's not your call. You don't know every little detail of how they got where they got. Sure, they made some bad decisions. Are you saying that we have never made bad decisions? Has God always given us everything that we deserve? Then why would we pray that God would give everybody else everything they deserve? This isn't about them. This is about us. This is about their actions. This is about our heart. Why do we love? Because God first loved us, 1 John 4 
19 says. Why do we put other people's needs ahead of our own desires? And, and why do we serve them? Because Jesus came to serve us, Mark 10, 45. And we are told to have the mind of Christ in Philippians 2. Why do we forgive others? Because we read, be kind of, to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you in Ephesians 4. And maybe that's where this series really needs to end. Maybe the greatest way that you can be generous to somebody is to write on a slip of paper paid in full and hand it to them. Now, I'm not talking about a physical debt. I'm not talking about a fiscal debt. I'm talking about an emotional one. Because they hurt you. And you know you're supposed to forgive, but you haven't. And that anger is still inside of you. That bitterness, resentment is just brewing inside of you. And so maybe one of the greatest ways you can be generous is to simply write paid in full and say, you know what? <laughs> you don't know me a thing. If you're struggling to forgive, I just want these words to ring in your ears and in your heart this morning. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Why do we forgive others? Because God has forgiven us. It's time you released them from that debt and you glorify God why do we do all this Jesus paid it all all to him I owe we just stand as we're going to pray this morning